All right, there we are. We're going to be in uh, Revelation 13 this morning. So, however you prefer, you can be turning there as we continue uh, this home stretch of our 2020 series where we have looked for the gospel from one cover to the next. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Revelation, but you might recall in chapter 12, God's word starts getting rather strange because John is trying to describe what really is indescribable. Uh, the last time we were here, we saw the woman, the child, and the dragon. And, and it is not a cute little children's book. We identified these three as Israel, Jesus, and Satan. Uh, but ultimately, the bottom line is God is protecting his people even though the supernatural protection of God upon this earth has been removed, as Satan has been kicked out of heaven. He no longer has access to the throne of God and his, God's ear, where he accuses us incessantly. In chapter 12, he is cast down to earth, where he has free reign. Uh, we would say free reign, because of course it is within the limitations that God has set. In all of this, there is absolutely no question who is in control. It is the one true God of the Bible, the God we worship here today. And so we were reminded of Satan's fall last time in chapter 12. He thought he was greater than God. And in chapter 12, uh, we see him going to battle with Michael, the archangel, whose name means, who is like God? And that answer, of course, is Absolutely no one. The hatred and accusations Satan has brought to God of his people for millennia will be no more. But an even greater hatred and evil is now targeted to the earth. Satan knows that his time is short. But he also knows that his accusations have no power over the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11. And they, God's people overcame him, Satan, and his accusations by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. See, church, what Jesus has done overcomes everything. It may not overcome everything right now, but one day it will overcome everything. No matter what Satan throws at us, no matter how bleak the outlook gets, no matter how painful life gets, no matter what attacks that you and I endure, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Chapter 12 describes this war in heaven. But we know who wins. It is Jesus. It is the Lamb. It is God. It is the hosts of heaven. It is God's people. So on earth where Satan has been cast, his efforts intensify. Specifically against the woman who we've identified as Israel. As Satan's efforts increase, so does the protection of God over his people. And even though Satan will pull out all the stops to take the light of the gospel on this earth away in a very dark time, God will protect his people just like he does today. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. When the wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. But verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Uh, so church, uh, chapter 13 here, I, I, uh, I got to be honest, 
we're kind of in over our heads already. So uh, why not just go out a little deeper into some deeper water? Because that's what we're going to do here in chapter 13. Um, remember a couple of weeks ago in chapter 11, the stage was set for a terrible trio. Now, one-third of that trio was the dragon, chapter 12. We identified as Satan. And so today we see the other two. If you are able, please stand out of, out of respect for the word of God as we read Revelation 13. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of, of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. Okay, so the first of the terrible trio is the dragon, who is Satan. The second is the first on your outline. It is the beast from the sea. The beast from the sea. Now, in many ways, he is described at the same as the dragon. It's almost as if there is an evil trinity. Uh, the beast from the sea is the Antichrist. And so this is Satan in human form, just as uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, if we cross-reference these verses with Revelation 17, 15, we learn the sea is figurative, representing Gentile nations. And so I choose to believe that the Antichrist, this literal person who will reign and rule deceitfully and, and promise peace uh, deceitfully, he will come out of the Gentile nations, not the Jews. Now, from what I understand and what we have seen at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will come to power, and he will settle all the unrest in the Middle East and in the world. According to Daniel 9.27, under his protection, Israel will rebuild the temple, reinstitute religious rituals. But in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in, where we are studying now, in, in chapters 10 through 14 of Revelation, he will break his covenant with Israel, stop the ceremonies, and set himself up as God in the temple. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives insight into this time in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 
uh, 1 through 12, we'll, we'll, lift, we'll look at a few verses. Verse 3 through 5 first. Uh, he says, uh, the, the, the word of God says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The coming of the lawless one is, according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion. Thank you. Uh, so, so Paul is, is speaking of the Antichrist here. Notice these passages. They, they don't contradict each other. They're, they're telling the same story, even though they were written years apart. And so this just tells us the continuity and the power of the Word of God. Um, telling about the beast coming out of the sea, chapter 13. Uh, John wrote this. Uh, I stood on the, on the sand of the sea... Remember that that is Gentile nations. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horn ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now again, this same description was given of the dragon or Satan in chapter 12. Seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems or crowns on his heads. The seven heads represent seven mountains in Revelation 17, 18. Now, some believe that these represent seven successive earthly kingdoms. Other, others believe they represent Rome. Either way, it is a picture of Satan's total influence over earthly kingdoms. These ten horns, they represent a ten-nation coalition the Antichrist will rule and lead during the Great Tribulation. Now, some have even called it a revival of the Roman Empire. So, imagine... This world leader promising peace and a world population blind by being deceived, blind to his deception. I mean, why wouldn't they want to follow this guy who is, who is promising world peace? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15. It speaks of uh, Satan and his angels transforming themselves into an angel of light and ministers of righteousness. Uh, 1 Kings 22 speaks of deceptive spirits. That's exactly what's going on right here. In our timeline of the end, they have now taken over. And most of the world will walk right into his trap of delusion and destruction. Look at verse 2 again, chapter 13. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So notice, um, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. They are all predators. And so this beast, um, the Antichrist, is a monster of a human. 
this is uh, similar to the, the description that Daniel gave of three beasts when he saw them in his vision in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, look at verse, verse 3 there in Daniel 7. Uh, four great beasts came upon the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion. Now many scholars believe that this represents Babylon. Look at verse 5. Suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. Uh, most scholars believe this represents the Medo-Persian Empire. Verse 6. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard. Most scholars agree that uh, this, this represents the kingdom of Greece. So if all these are identified correctly, then everything up to this point in Daniel has already happened. But there is a fourth beast in Daniel, as Daniel saw the vision of the end. Uh, not described as, as an animal of prey, but only with a few adjectives. Listen to how it's described. Daniel 7, 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. So... Uh, most scholars agree this is describing the ten-nation coalition that we just saw in Revelation 13. Here's what Daniel writes about them. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half time. So the fourth beast is the ten-nation coalition spoken of in Revelation 13. And as you might imagine, this other horn is the Antichrist. See, an animal's power is in its horns. And so this other horn described in Daniel 7 is most powerful. It is the beast from the sea. It is the Antichrist, Satan in human form. And so in the midst of all these Strange visions and chaos. Don't miss the continuity of the Word of God. Daniel and John, they record different visions roughly 600 years apart, but neither one contradicts each other. They complement each other. They, they don't even contradict Paul's, what, what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians that we just looked at. They all tell the same story because they are all inspired by God. And so church, we can trust the Word of God. Even when what it says is difficult for us to grasp, all of it, from one cover to the next, it tells this story of redemption. It tells the story of the victory of Jesus. The response of the people on earth here in Revelation 13 at the end of time is one of wonder and worship. You can write that down on your outline. The response to the beast is wonder and worship. The people would not accept Jesus, but they will accept everything that Jesus stands against. They will accept the Antichrist. Now, apparently the Antichrist will be severely wounded, we're told in verse 14. Uh, the word for, for sword is used. It's a word for a large knife. 
for up-close, hand-to-hand combat. So whatever it is, he recovered, the world marveled, and followed in wonder and worship because of all of this. Verse 4, there in chapter 13. So they worshipped the dragon. Who's the dragon? It's Satan. Yep, it's Satan. Who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast. Who's the beast? Antichrist, yeah. Saying, who is like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And he, gave him a, he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 42 months. So notice that word given, used twice there in verse 6. It's another reminder of the sovereignty of God and who is still in control even as Antichrist takes, takes power on the earth. Our God will establish limits to his power and ultimately bring him to an end. Verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in in blasphemy against God. This is the Antichrist. To blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted. There's that word granted once again. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now this would be referring to the 144,000. Those saved during this time, through, through the, the uh, testimony of the witnesses. Authority was given him, the beast, the Antichrist, over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of, life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. <clears throat> now that's an interesting phrase there, isn't it? Slain from the foundation of the world. Because we can go back in history and see when Jesus, the Lamb, was slain. And according to my Bible, it was not back in Genesis 1-1. But the fact that God says in His Word, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, it tells us some things about our God. Uh, First off, he He is not confined to time. He sees... Um, all of time, past, present, and future, in one moment. And he can look and see all of human history in his hand. And he knew exactly when to put Jesus in at the perfect time. It also tells us that, that Jesus was no afterthought. He was no plan B. Sin did not catch God off guard. But it was always in his plan. To redeem those of us who would trust in Jesus. Who paid the price for our sins. <clears throat> it's, it, it's deep. I told you we were going to get some deep water, right? Are you with me this morning? Let's continue. Uh, verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So this description of the Antichrist, it ends with a call to God's people to endure. So it is yet another timeless message for you and I as we battle the spirit of Antichrist who is alive and well in our world today. So the terrible trio, the evil trinity, consists of the dragon who is Satan, the beast from the sea who is the Antichrist, And number two on your outline, the third of the three, is the beast from the earth. The beast from the earth. Let's pick it up in verse 11, chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. 
And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performed great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted, notice that word granted again, to do in the sight of of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast. Or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. His number is six, six, six. So John saw something that Daniel never saw. Uh, The beast from the earth is also known as the false prophet. The false prophet. So Satan, the Antichrist... And the false prophet make up this terrible trio, the evil trinity, if you will. See, Satan cannot come up with, he cannot create anything new. He can only counterfeit what God has already accomplished. Remember, uh, Satan said, I will be like the Most High. And so he is the counterfeit father. Antichrist is the counterfeit Christ. And the false prophet is the counterfeit Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 through 15, tell us that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus and to point people to him. The false prophet glorifies and points people to the Antichrist. Notice he has two horns, a representation of power, described like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. He will be full of deceit. He is more than a wolf in sheep's clothing. And notice there is no mention of a crown on his head. And so some take that to mean that he will not be a political leader, but a religious leader. Some go even as far as, as claiming that it is a certain religion. <clears throat> Jesus warned in Matthew 24 that there would be false prophets. And so this one is the ultimate. And his evil culminates with the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel in chapter 9.37 and 11.36. Spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 24, 15, and by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. And so the false prophet made an image of the beast, which he then set up in this newly built temple. He was granted to give it life so as to be worshipped as God. There is nothing more blatantly blasphemous. So the two witnesses back in chapter 11. They ministered from the temple. And so now the false prophet moves in. Uh, This is probably when they are killed. And when they're raised back to life and ascended to heaven is probably when life is given to this image of the beast. So as to be able to move and speak. And so I know this this is weird. But it's still the word of God. We don't have to panic because of it. We don't have to fully understand it. We just have to, in faith, we need to have faith that somehow, however, whatever it means, that God will fulfill his word. Because that's what he's proven to do over and over and over again throughout human history. 
So the false prophet has taken control religiously, and everyone complied. In verse 16, he takes over economically, enforcing the mark or name of the beast. 666. Now, people have been attempting to figure out exactly what that number means and and what name it represents for a long time. Some think it's an actual number. Others speculate that it is a lifestyle. Uh, But one thing that we can be sure of, six is not the number of completion or perfection. Seven is. And so the next blank's on your outline. The number six falls short. If we look up... Six, we, we find that it symbolizes imperfection, human weakness. Man was created on the sixth day, and we know how that ended up. And perhaps six is, is repeated three times, one for each of the terrible trio. This is the most powerful human in the world, and yet he still falls short of the perfection of God. We begin to close. You know, our generations have seen technology and mandates that make the concept of having a mark to be able to buy or sell anything a very real possibility. I mean, you think of the the vaccine mandate. Now listen, I am not saying that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Hear me when I say that. If the Lord leads you to take the vaccine, you should take the vaccine. If he doesn't, then you shouldn't. But the idea of you cannot eat in this restaurant unless you have your, your card, uh, that was kind of a foreign thing just not too many years ago. Um, but now it is a, it's a very real reality. As, as Satan always does, his schemes have led to a trap. Now Jesus has been releasing people from his traps for thousands of years, but this one will be different. There will be no release. So whether it is an actual mark on the wrist or forehead or possibly a chip embedded under the skin, get the mark of the beast or starve. So I can tell you this, the Lord will never lead anyone to get this mark. And so as we close, uh, what is described here in Revelation 13? It's very anti-Christ. It is very anti-Christian. Now, we would all agree, our world now, though not to the, these depths that we've just looked at, is becoming more and more anti-Christ and anti-Christian. And so, I leave us with the words of First John to encourage us as we leave here today. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Would you just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes as we go into a time of invitation? I realize this is, again, it's some deep stuff, it's some confusing stuff, but it's still the Word of God. When you hear that, that, that those last verses, do not love the world or the things of the world. Does the Holy Spirit begin to speak to your heart, to point out something that you're loving? 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Is there anything in your life that would be considered loving the world? We know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. But when what He gives us becomes God, becomes what we live for, that's what He's talking about right here. And so uh, we always like to ask a couple of questions at this time. What has God said to you? What are you going to do about it? You can be open your Bibles, Bible apps, to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. As we continue our series, we're getting close to the end. Uh, we're looking for the gospel from one cover to the next. Uh, so it's been a few weeks now, and so uh, you might recall uh, the last time we were here in chapter 12, um, God's word starts getting a little bit strange. And uh, today's chapter is, is no different. Um, but remember, John is trying to describe something that really is indescribable. Uh, in chapter 12, we saw the woman, the child, and the dragon, and uh, that is not some cute children's book title. Uh, we identified the three as Israel, Jesus, and Satan. And with all of this, with most of this, uh, there is room for interpretation. Uh, a lot of times we just have to kind of pick which direction we want to go and uh, just trust that the Lord knows our hearts. Ultimately, we saw in chapter 12, God is pro protecting his people, even though the supernatural protection of God upon this earth has been removed. Remember, Satan has been kicked out of heaven. He no longer has access to God's throne and God's ear, where he accuses you and me incessantly. In chapter 12, he is cast down to earth, where he has free reign, of course, within the limits that God has set. In all of this, there is absolutely no question who is in control. It is the one true God of the Bible, the same one that we worship here today, and hopefully the same one we worship every day that we're not here. Uh, we were reminded of Satan's fall in chapter 12. Uh, he thought that he was greater than God. And we see him going to battle with Michael, the archangel. His name means, who is like God? And of course, we know that answer. There is absolutely no one. So the hatred and accusations that Satan has brought to God of his people for millennia will be no more. But an even greater hatred is now targeted to the earth. Satan knows that his time is short. But he also knows that his accusations have no power. Say no power. No power over the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11. They, God's people, overcame him, Satan, and his accusations by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. See, what Jesus has done overcomes everything. What Jesus has done overcomes everything. It may not overcome everything right now, but one day it will. And so no matter what Satan throws at us, no matter how bleak the outlook gets, no matter how painful life gets, no matter what attacks that you and I endure, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. 
Chapter 12 describes a war in heaven, but we know who wins. It is Jesus. It is the Lamb. It is God. It is the hosts of heaven. It is God's people. On earth, where Satan has been cast, Satan, um, his efforts intensify, specifically against the woman, which we've identified as Israel. As Satan's efforts increase, so does the protection of God. And even though Satan will pull out all the stops to take the light of the gospel on this earth out in a very dark time, God will protect his people just like he does today. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. When the wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Uh, So, uh, church, I figure... Uh, We're kind of in over our heads anyway with all this revelation stuff, so why not wade out just a little bit deeper? Because uh, that's what we're going to do here today in chapter 13. Uh, Remember, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we introduced uh, a a terrible trio, the first of the terrible trio. Um, One third of that was the dragon, the dragon in chapter 12. If you remember, we identified the dragon as Satan, and so today... We see the other two. If you are able, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we read Revelation 13, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns on his on his and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the the Lamb, slain from the foundation of of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. Okay, so we have a lot of uh, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, remember the first of the terrible trio is the dragon. Who is the dragon? It's Satan. Yeah, the second of the terrible trio is the first blank on your outline. It is the beast from the sea. The beast from the sea. It's described in many ways the same as the dragon. And so it's almost as if there is an evil trinity. The beast from the sea we we will identify as the Antichrist. The Antichrist. This is Satan in human form, just like Jesus is God in the flesh. 
Now, if we cross-reference these verses with Revelation 17, 15, we learn the sea is figurative, and it represents Gentile nations. And so I choose to believe that the Antichrist, this literal person who will reign and rule and deceitfully promise peace, will come from the Gentile nations, not the Jews. Now, from what I understand and what I have seen, at the beginning of this seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will come to power, and he will settle all the unrest in the Middle East and really all the unrest in the world. According to Daniel 9.27, under his protection, Israel will rebuild the temple, reinstitute religious rituals. But by the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in, where we find ourselves today uh, in these chapters, chapters 10 through 14 of Revelation, he will break the covenant with Israel, stop the ceremonies, and set himself up as God in the temple. Notice uh, the, the Apostle Paul gives us insight into this time in 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse, verse 3 says this, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is speaking of the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is, according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Verse 10 says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now notice, these two passages do not contradict each other. Uh, They are telling the same story, even though they were written years apart. Uh, This is the power of the word of God. Telling about this this beast coming out of the sea. Back to chapter 13, Revelation. Then I stood at the the sand of the sea. Okay, so what is the sea? Remember? Gentile nations. I saw the beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now again, uh, this same description was given of the dragon or Satan in chapter 12. Seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems or crowns on his head. So the seven heads represent seven mountains if we cross-reference it with Revelation seven eighteen, Some believe these to be seven earthly kingdoms. Others believe they just represent Rome. But either way, it is a picture of Satan's total influence over earthly kingdoms. These ten horns represent a ten-nation coalition the Antichrist will rule and lead during the Great Tribulation. Some have called it a revival of the Roman Empire. I mean, just imagine a world leader promising peace and a world population blind to the deception. Why wouldn't they want to follow this person? I mean, you have somebody that everybody likes. I mean, imagine that in our culture today. One person that... Everybody likes. Um, This is the Antichrist. I mean, believers obviously don't like him, but the rest of the world, they all do. Can you imagine a leader like that? Of course, people will want to follow him. 2 Corinthians 11, 
14 through 15, speak of Satan and his angels transforming themselves into an angel of light and ministers of righteousness. 1 Kings 22 talks about deceptive spirits. This is exactly what's going on here. And in our timeline of the end, they have now taken over. Deceptive spirits. Most of the world will walk right into his trap of delusion and destruction. Okay, so turn to your neighbor and just make sure they're, they're awake. Make sure, just ask, are, are you with him? Because I know this is, some, this is some deep stuff here. Verse 2 in Revelation 13. Uh, the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So notice, um, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. All they're, they're all predators. And so this beast, the Antichrist, will be a monster of a human. These are, this is a similar description of three beasts that Daniel saw in his vision in Daniel 7. Let's turn back there as we look at uh, Daniel 7, 3 through 5. Daniel wrote this. Uh, four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion. Uh, many scholars believe that represents the nation of the kingdom of Babylon. Verse 5 says, suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. Most scholars believe this represents the Medo-Persian empire. Verse 6, uh, then I looked, after this I looked, and there was another like a leopard. Most scholars believe that this represents the kingdom of Greece. And so, if these are all identified correctly, then everything up to this point in Daniel has already happened. There is a fourth beast in Daniel. And he's not described as any certain animal of prey, but only with a few adjectives. Notice how he's described, Daniel 7, 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. The most conservative scholars agree. This is describing the ten-nation coalition that we just read about in Revelation 13. Here's what Daniel writes of them. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be, verse 24, chapter 7, shall be a, a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it into pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So the fourth beast is the ten nation coalition spoken of in Revelation 13. And so as you might imagine, the other horn described here is the Antichrist. Now, an animal's power is in its horn. And so this other horn described in Daniel 7 is most powerful. It is the beast from the sea. It is the Antichrist. It is Satan in human form. So in the midst of these strange visions and chaos... Don't miss the continuity of the Word of God. Because Daniel and John, they record different visions roughly 600 years apart, but neither one of them contradicts the other. 
they complement each other. They don't even contradict Paul's account from 2 Thessalonians that we just read. They all tell the same story because they are all inspired by God. And so church, we can trust the word of God even when what it says is difficult for us to grasp. All of it from one cover to the next tells the story of the redemption of what Jesus has done for you and me. The victory that we have in Jesus that we sang of this morning. Notice the response of the people on earth. It's one of wonder and worship. It's one of, of wonder and worship to the Antichrist. They would not accept Jesus Christ, but they will accept everything that Jesus stands against. They will accept the Antichrist. Now, apparently, the Antichrist will be mortally, severely wounded. Uh, we're told in verse 14 it's from a sword. That's a, a, a word used for a, a, a small sword, a large knife, used for close hand-to-hand combat. And so whatever it is, he's recovered, and the world has marveled and followed in wonder and worship this Antichrist. Verse 4. And so they worshipped the dragon. Who's the dragon? It's Satan. Who gave authority to the beast. Who's this beast? The Antichrist. They worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. I just want to turn your attention to that word given there, used twice in verse 6. We're going to see it in, in the remaining verses as well. It, it's just a reminder of the sovereignty of God and who is still in control even as the Antichrist takes power. Our God will establish limits to his power and ultimately he will bring it to an end. Let's continue to read. He opened his mouth, verse 6, in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted, there it is again, the word granted. God is setting limits. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So this is the 144,000 that we've seen earlier in Revelation, those who are saved through their witness. That's what these saints are. Authority was given him, the beast, the Antichrist, over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now, that last phrase, slain from the foundation of the world, it's an interesting phrase. Because you and I can go back in history and see when Jesus, the Lamb, was slain. And according to my Bible, it wasn't in Genesis 1-1 when God laid the foundations of the world. But the fact that it says in his word, the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, it tells us a couple of things about God. First of all, he is not confined to time. He sees all of time, past, present, and future, not in a timeline, but in a, in a moment. He can see all of human history in a moment in his hand. And he put his son right in the midst of all of that, just the right time. It also tells us that Jesus was never an afterthought. Sin did not catch our God off guard. He was always the plan 
redeem humankind. Verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. And so this description of the Antichrist ends with a call for God's people to endure. It's a yet another timeless message in the midst of all of these strange visions for you and I as we battle the spirit of the Antichrist that is alive and well in our world today. So the terrible trio, this evil trinity, it consists of the dragon, the beast from the sea, Satan, the Antichrist. Number two on your outline is the beast from the earth. The beast from the earth. Pick it up in verse 11. <clears throat> then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. He was granted, once again, granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast, the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So John saw something that Daniel didn't see the beast from the earth also known as the false prophet the next blanks on your outline also known as the false prophet so satan the antichrist and the false prophet they make up this terrible trio this evil trinity see satan cannot come up with anything he cannot create anything new he can only counterfeit what god has already accomplished Remember, Satan said, I will be like the Most High. He is the counterfeit father. Antichrist is the counterfeit Christ. And the false prophet is the counterfeit Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 through 15, tell us that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus and point people to him. And this false prophet glorifies and points people to Antichrist. Notice he has two horns. It's a representation of power. Described like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. He will be full of deceit, more than just a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, there is no mention of a crown on his head. And some take this meaning that he will not be a political leader, but a religious leader. Some even go as far as saying it is a certain religion. Uh, Jesus warned in Matthew 24, there would be false prophets. This one is the ultimate. And his evil culminates with the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel in chapter 9, 37 and 11, 36, spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 24, 15, and by, by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. 
The false prophet made an image of the beast, which he then set up in this newly built temple. He was granted to give it life so as to be worshipped as God. There is nothing more blatantly blasphemous. Remember the, the two witnesses in chapter 11. They ministered from the temple. Now the false prophet moves in. This is probably when they are killed. And it's possible that when they're raised back to life is when this image is given life. Able to move and speak. Now I know this is weird. But it is the word of God. We don't have to panic because of it. We don't have to fully understand it. We just have to have faith that somehow, whatever all of this means, God will fulfill his word. Because that is what he has proven over and over and over that he will do. The false prophet has taken control religiously. Everyone has complied. In verse 16, he takes over economically, enforcing the name, the mark of the beast. Now, people have been attempting to figure out exactly what this number means, what name it represents for a long time. Some people think it's an actual number. Um, Others speculate that it's just a lifestyle. But one thing we can be sure of, six is not the number of completion or or perfection. Seven is the last blanks in your outline. The number six, it falls short. It it falls short. If we look up the number six in the word, we find that it symbolizes imperfection, human weakness. People were, were created on the sixth day. We know how that ended up. It's repeated three times, perhaps, for each of the terrible trio. Uh, This is the most powerful human in the world, and yet he still falls short of the perfection of God. Now, our generations, we have seen technology and mandates that make the concept of having a mark to be able to buy or sell anything a very real possibility. Vaccines, I mean... Now listen, hear me when I say this. I am not saying that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. I am not saying that. Um, if, if the Lord is calling you to get it, then you should get it. If he's not calling you to get it, then, then don't get it. But I will tell you this. The Lord is not going to lead anybody to take the mark of the beast. He, he, just, he just won't. But, but think about this. The, the idea of you can't eat in this restaurant unless you have this card. It wasn't really fathomable. Just a few years ago, but it is now. As it always does, Satan's schemes have led to a trap. And Jesus has been releasing people from his traps for thousands of years. But this one will be different. There will be no release. And so whether it's an actual mark on the wrist, possibly a chip embedded under the skin, get the mark of the beast or starve. So as we close this morning, what we are seeing described here in Revelation 13 is a very anti-Christ and a very anti-Christian world. And we would all agree our world now, uh, though not to the depths that we've just looked at, is anti-Christian. It's becoming more so every day. So I just want to leave us with God's word from 1 John 2. Verses 15 through 17. He says this, Do not love 
the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are as we go into a time of invitation? Church, when you hear 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. What comes to your mind? Is there anything that the Holy Spirit is speaking, saying, that's what he's talking about? We know that every good gift comes from the Father. But when what he gives us becomes what we worship and what we live for, that's when the love of the world comes in. Is there anything in your life? We always like to answer two questions at this point. What has God said to you? And what are you going to do about it? What has he said to you through his word? These are some strange, this is a strange vision here. But it's still the word of God. And we trust that it will not return void. But it will do what it's set out to accomplish. Lord, we, we do thank you for your word. Even here, Revelation 13, we trust that one day it will all make sense. But Lord, we also trust that it's your word and it will come to pass. So Lord, give us hearts to understand. Uh, give us spiritual eyes to see what you'll allow us to see. Help us to be living our lives, not in love with the world, but Lord, in love with you each and every day growing on the foundation of our faith and, Lord, willing to share that faith to anyone we might come in contact with. God, we thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. We thank you that you are a, a strong God. And we just say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in our lives. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.